So, hey, I'm Josh Katz of Yellow Heart, and we've been into music ticketing with NFTs way before it was cool. If you want to be cool before the crowd, as well as far into the future, keep listening to the sounds of the edge of NFT. Hey, all you NFT curious listeners, check out today's episode to learn about how Yellow Heart is turning ticketing on its head. How to keep the Maroon 5 flower from wilting. And what's so special about Mona's launch of the newest 3D creator economy for the metaverse. All this and more today on The Edge of NFT. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Josh Katz, founder and CEO of Yellowheart, the first socially responsible live event ticketing platform. The Yellowheart platform is autonomous, fully decentralized, and runs on a public blockchain, which enables artists and teams to identify, market, and sell directly to their fans. Artists can define a set of rules to govern how their tickets are sold, traded, and who shares in the profits. Artists can set maximum resale prices, ensure tickets are distributed to genuine fans, and elect to earn a share of tickets resold in Yellowheart's secondary marketplace. Josh Katz, welcome to the program. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, buddy. Great to have you, man. We're super pumped about this. We're big events guys. We throw a lot of events. We attend a lot of events. And of course, we're also huge NFT guys. And so we've been, you know, talking about and hearing about how events and tickets and NFTs are all going to intersect, but we've yet to see something really come to life. So, so we're super pumped to discuss Yellow Heart and what it's all about. So let's dive right in, man. Like, how did the concept come about? And you know, tell us a little more about uh, where you're at now. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you how it came about. It actually came about in 2017. At the time, I was actually hosting the New York Ethereum meetup. I was deep in the Ethereum ecosystem and you know, fascinated and just caught the bug. And at the same time, I am a diehard Fish fan, meaning the band Fish, who I follow. And that summer, they played something called The Baker's Dozen, which was 13 shows at Madison Square Garden in New York. And of course, needing to go to all 13, I was forced to buy tickets for 13 shows in a row. Those tickets that summer, you would think would be you know, less expensive because of how many shows there were, but they actually kept getting more and more expensive. And it's one thing if you go to a show and you buy a scalper ticket and you spend a few hundred dollars, you have a great time. The next day, you forget about it. It's a different story if you wake up the next day and you have to buy them again. And then the next day, and then the next day. So in going through that experience, I said, wow, you know, scalpers are really hurting artists and really hurting fans. There's got to be a better way. And at the time, I was super getting super deep into distributed ledger. And I realized that tickets issued on a distributed ledger with a smart contract governing them could potentially get rid of scalping. And that's where the whole idea came from. So cool. Yeah. What was the first project you did with your platform? First project that we did on our platform was Kings of Leon. So you so start just, small, yeah. start small, small, small and indie, yeah, like you know, grow from there. I knew the answer to that. I was kind of looking <laughs> for sort of like a sizzle there. What was that like? So I think I should back it up a little bit because there was a lot of stuff that happened before Kings of Leon. 
And it's important, I think, that people understand that this has not been easy. Uh, where, you know, we started building this in Q4 of 17. No, you got to make it sound easy that way. Yeah. People who try to compete, you know, Listen, just, I once they see any obstacle, they'll just quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and going back then, we built out our ticketing platform and we launched it in Q1 of 2020. And we launched it with a bunch of beta events around New York, and they were all going well. Of course, our first one had a lot of bugs, and the second one had less bugs, and the third one was no bugs. And we were off to the races, and we had planned on you know, launching production in June of 2020. But unfortunately, in March, we're a New York-based company, and COVID hit us hard. And basically, we got lumped into the live event industry, even though we were you know, a NFT mint and wallet system. So we got sidetracked in 2020 off of live events. And I spent the summer of 2020 speaking to every artist and band you could think of, trying to convince them to put out music as an NFT, not tickets, but music. And Kings of Leon are actually one of the first ones that bit and said, you know what? We're off tour. We have a new album. We can't really promote it. We could use something to actually get some visibility. And this might make sense. So we began that conversation. But it was out of not being able to use our ticketing product, not being able to raise money, being lumped into live events, which were turned off, furloughing almost our entire staff, pretty much going out of business, but waking up every day and hustling my ass off, leaving no stone left unturned, calling every band, whether you're Kings of Detroit or Kings of Leon, I didn't care. I was talking to everyone and they just happened to be the ones that stepped up first. There you go. The hard realities of entrepreneurship and the grit persistence, curiosity. It takes relentless pursuit to get some of this stuff done with even if you have the big ideas and the team to back it up. And oh, how we enjoy those hard realities, don't we? <laughs> In retrospect, yeah, I guess at the time, trust me, not sleepless nights, you know, doing the Asian calls all nights, the European calls all morning, the American calls through the day, just leaving no stone left unturned, yet everyone telling me, yeah, platform looks amazing. Tech looks great. When live events come back, you should call us. Yeah. Right. Dude, but what an accelerant, you know, COVID ended up being for, you know, everything virtual and everything NFT, like for all of the bad, man, like this is such an advancement that we've made like a decade plus, I think on this front. And it's all opened this whole world of possibility. Very cool. Yeah, it's crazy because I circled the entertainment I'm in a music business through 18 and 19 and the first quarter of 20, we literally took NFTs. We were calling them non-fungible tokens. We took them out of our deck in the summer of 19 because people were glazing over. And I'll never forget going to a meeting with one of the top people in entertainment. I'm not going to say who it was. And he turns to me and he goes, I want to sell digital merch. What the hell do I need a blockchain for? <laughs> and we, all, <laughs> we walked out of the meeting. We we're like, we give up. Okay, this is not going to work. Oh, my God. Yeah. And man, times, times have changed. And here we are today. So give us a, a view on the world of ticketing today. You know, what's the industry look like now? And how does ticketing on the blockchain fit in and in sort of what are the use cases that you're sort of trying to drive forward and differentiate from the pack? So it's an interesting question because live events are coming back and they're coming back on incumbent or older ticketing platforms. You know, when you look at the U.S. in particular, it's dominated by Ticketmaster. They hold 80% of live event ticketing for concerts primarily. And they're using very, very old technology. They're still using paper. Ticket Web, which is their small to middle-sized venue platform, literally does PDF over email. 
And this lends itself to rampant fraud, rampant counterfeiting, rampant middlemen population to the tune of before COVID in 19, secondary market ticketing in the US was 11.5 billion. I mean, it's a huge industry that got built off of bad technology. And fans pay what? A 40% premium for that wonderful experience, right? Usually more, actually. And, you know, it's funny when you look at just fees alone, which have no description other than service fee, fees on the lowest end are 12%. On the high end, we've seen fees over 50%. And there's no rhyme or reason. And it's all just a game. It's a game to get the fans to pay more anyway as they can. Yeah, it's nuts, man. I, I hate seeing that line item on my ticket purchases. It's like the worst. So obviously with problems like this creates opportunity. And what do you see as the big opportunities as events ramp back up? So, you know, we're seeing the opportunity of using this new technology to foster in Web3 into live events, where when you buy an NFT, you have proof of ownership, you have proof of authenticity. Our tickets have a ticket history or a ledger, as we know it in crypto where you could see who minted it, where they minted it, how it traded, who paid what for it, a full transparency around it. And that opens up the opportunity for the fans not to get ripped off, not to have middlemen jacking them up. The other thing about the current state of ticketing, which is very, very disturbing, is the fragmentation, where StubHub does not talk to SeatGeek Seek, or Vivid or Ticketmaster, any of these companies, they're all completely fragmented and walled off from each other. So you had cases in 19 before COVID where, I'll just say BC, by the way, going forward, before COVID, where BC, you'd have 11% of tickets bought on secondaries were fraudulent or double sales, where I had spoken to Mumford and Sons at one point or their manager, and he was telling me how he'd go to shows, the shows would be selling out, and there'd be a huge pool of people that would show up and their ticket would already be scanned. And the reason it would already be scanned is that person would sell it on StubHub and SeatGeek and Vivid and maybe somewhere else if they could. And they keep pushing over the PDF and someone would show up and someone would have already used it. And, you know, that's a pretty big problem. If you're a fan and you're going getting a babysitter and going a meal and taxis and meeting friends and putting all this expense and energy into doing something and you show up and your ticket was scanned already. Pretty crazy. Dude, I literally just yesterday was had to wait on hold for two and a half hours to talk to somebody from StubHub because they sold my tickets that I listed on their site twice, right? And then charged me back, you know, for the second one, an extra, you know, couple hundred bucks or whatever, because of some tech issue on their end. You can't even get through to them. Never mind like the fact that they allowed the same two tickets that are designated the exact same way to be sold twice on their platform. It's nuts. Yeah, that, that's what's going on. And there's no rhyme or reason. There's no checks and balances. It's really the wild west out there. And the issue has been that Live Nation and Ticketmaster, where the majority of these tickets root from and where they're born, they do nothing about this. They actually benefit from an open ecosystem where it's the wild west because they have one goal. And their goal is to sell those seats out no matter what. Who cares? Scalpers are our friends. We just want to sell our inventory and move to the next show. But in doing that, you look at who the customers are and you realize that in that pursuit of selling every ticket out in the stadium or arena, they stopped actually thinking about who their customers are, who the fans are, what the fans' needs are. I'll never forget where you know I went to a conference in 19, a ticketing conference. And at the time, you know, I'm still a newcomer. I you know, don't have much experience in the space other than building this platform. But I had spoken to one of the heads of a major ticketing company. And he told me that people go to 1.4 concerts a year. And that's the number. And I said, well, who the hell wants to go to 1.4 concerts a year? 
you make it impossible for people to get tickets and feel com- confident in it. I just recently, you know, we could talk all day about this. I recently heard a radio story where somebody went through the trouble to expose a service that actually would sell basically the opportunity to buy tickets. You know, people thought they were buying tickets and they bought the opportunity to buy a ticket. And then they, like you said, they have to get on the phone and go through this thing. And, oh, look, it's like actually a little bit more expensive to get that ticket. And, oh, look, it's not in the area that you thought it was. I mean, it's crazy. Going back to, you know, what you said about giving that investor presentation and having someone kind of like look you deadpan too, it reminded me of hearing, William Quigley, actually, on another podcast, I think I was hearing him of Wax talking about how, well, back in the day, he was selling websites and he was selling websites before websites were something that you needed. And it's like the same exact story. Oh, you're going to need a website. Come on, get out of here. I don't need a website. What are you talking about? (laughs) So, I mean, it's really great to see that we're getting some momentum in this space that you work so hard to co-create. And that leads me to my question about kind of wallets. I know, you know, we have a wallet, like a Yellow Heart mobile NFT wallet. That does sound like something is kind of functionally important for ticketing and potentially other in-person use cases. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, endeavoring to create that wallet and what it's good for? Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of wallets out there. You know, obviously you have Coinbase and MetaMask and then all, you know, all these uh, traditional payment companies introducing their wallets. But what we realized was, you know, we're looking at NFT right now in a 1.0 space where the first iteration of NFT has been this boom in collectible art or digital collectibles as we're calling it. But we believe that the 2.0 or 1.1 of NFTs, because it's moving pretty quick, will actually be utility-driven NFTs and the ability to actually use the NFTs for something. So in doing that, we realized that we needed to create a wallet that actually allowed a ticket to have a rotating barcode, to correspond to a redemption of a seat for ticketing, to open up additional long-tail engagement where our NFT wallet, when your ticket's in it, we're engaging with you from the minute it comes into your wallet. Where now, if you opt in, where you want to be part of that event community, since you're in our wallet, we can message you. We could send you deals from sponsors. We could essentially give you more opportunities, seat upgrades. Maybe you want to upgrade your seats and there are some empty seats, a couple of sections in front of you. You could just upgrade through the wallet. But it's basically creating utility around the NFTs. So that's the purpose of our wallet. It's not, you know, the wallet is a layer two wallet. It runs on layer two polygon. It also runs on layer one Ethereum. It will also be interoperable into additional blockchains next year. But we thought the utility portion was incredibly important, where we want to give people the ability to actually use the NFTs. And that's where the wallet comes into play. Yeah, man. And I think about you know the ticket masters of the world and them trying to take a step back and incorporate NFTs into their world somehow. And that's really hard as a big organization to try to kind of deconstruct what you're doing and incorporate these things. I feel like building this from the ground up is it really, it's a major advantage, you know, for anybody really looking to make a dent in this space. And I think you guys are thinking about it right along the right lines, like form follows function, right? And we need certain elements of of functionality here to make this thing really work well. So that's amazing. And you guys are already putting so many of these things to use, right? You're already out there doing it. We heard about an NFT-only album you recently collaborated with Kat Graham, aka Toro Gato, on. Tell us about that. Like, what was the story there? Yeah, a great project. It's currently for sale on Yellow Heart. So, you know, Kat Graham came to us with a vision, and her vision was to embrace this technology and, you know, the world that's behind it. And she thought that, you know, what we were doing was the next wave and basically was like, listen, 
I have this album, you know, she's a very famous Hollywood actress with, you know, major, major, you know, accomplishments, but she has this alter personality called Toro Gato. And she's done a, quite a few albums as Toro Gato, but realized that she wanted to embrace the NFT community. So she brought us the album and insisted on us doing a two week window of it only being available via NFT. The only way to get it is to buy the NFT. It's a $15 NFT minted on Polygon. So no gas fees, unless you buy with layer one, but you can buy with credit card as well. And it's exclusive to Yellowheart as an NFT. Plus there are six videos that once you get the album, you can redeem for six corresponding videos that work with the actual album. What's most interesting about it is that we're building Kat's community around Toro Gato. And that's what's so compelling. So last Tuesday night, we did a release party in New York City where she had fire eaters and contortionists. And the party was absolutely dope as hell. It was a sick party. And the community came out, at least the local New York community. And through selling these tokens, where in the past, you take your music, you give it to a third party who gives it to another third party. If you're an indie artist, and then another third party. If you're a major artist, you only have two or three people in the middle. And then it goes out to a streaming service and the report comes back to another third party. You then have to ask what your streams are. And then you have to ask where your money is. And by the time it gets to you, you collect a tiny portion of the money. So in this case, we could sell a fraction of the albums. We give Kat 90% of the money on the primary and 95, or sorry, and 10% on the secondary. And with that, potentially can make more money and sell to fans directly. So it's kind of a win-win for the fans, win-win for her. And the best part about this is that these records are, are sellable on a secondary market. You can't take a stream that you are renting from Spotify or Apple and go resell it. So I could buy a CAC RAM record for 15 bucks now. That edition is going to close in five days and it's going to be memorialized and that's it. And anyone wanting this record again is going to have to buy it on a secondary. Plus me as a fan, if I bought one and I say, you know what? I listened to the record. I love it. And now I, you know, I'm done with it. I want to sell it or I need money. It's resellable across secondary markets, which is pretty amazing. Can I ask a clarifying question there? Because I think one of the remarkable things about what you're doing that I want to make sure we don't gloss over is the decentralized public blockchain nature of it, because there's a lot of closed loop NFT marketplaces right now, like NBA Top Shots, for example. Are you saying that people can buy this on any platform or do they have to use the Yellowheart platform to make the secondary purchase? And, and how does that work? No, so we're fully EVM compatible. So we mint on Polygon on Yellowheart. It then goes into our market and then you could take it and go anywhere you want with it. You could sell it anywhere. Doesn't it's not we're not like Top Shot that's you know stuck on Flow. Flow is a closed uh, blockchain. We are fully open to any Ethereum-based blockchain. You could go anywhere. You take it to OpenSea or anywhere around the world and resell it. That's just such a bold move, and I just have to give you some kudos for that because the standard response to why start you know with the more closed loop system is you have to ease into sort of this decentralized world. It sounds like. You decided, no, not really. So could I give you a great example? So in May, we did a drop for Tentacion. Now, X is a deceased rapper. He's an iconic rapper, a genius in my mind. You know, I'm a 47-year-old guy. So in my world, as a hip-hop fan or a rap fan, it was all about immoralizing, you know, Biggie and Tupac. 
I have a 10-year-old son, and in his world, it's all about Juice World and, and XXX Tasio. So I was introduced to X actually through my son. And that actually happened through COVID because we were locked in quarantine. And my wife and I are saying, what the hell is our eight-year-old listening to? This is obscene. We can't, you can't be listening to music like this. And it turns out it's X. So I then caught on to X and became a fan myself. And I went out and I seeked out his unreleased tracks and we actually acquired them. And we're, we released the first five. We have 15 more that we're going to release as well. So when we put out that drop, we put it out where we did daily moments where every day for five days, we had a live moment where no one had ever seen him live before because he was murdered in the middle of his first tour and there was not a film crew there. So we basically took cell phone footage from bodyguards and his mom and other people, and we pieced together digital moments from the tour. We put those out as a free moment for 24 hours where the edition would be an open edition and be free. And people came in and they bought them in droves. We did 30,000 minted in five days across the different formats. And what we found was that we were ready when that came online, when we announced it that day, well, we announced it on the Thursday before the Monday drop. We did it with a YouTube video. That video trended number one on YouTube that day and the entire weekend. There was massive amounts of views. So we had our Discord and all of our channels ready to go, figuring we're going to need a ton of customer support on this drop. There's a lot of people coming in. Our website was averaging 300,000 unique visitors every five minutes. Our customer support was crickets, nothing, zero. And what we realized was, was that the younger generation is super tech savvy. They know what they're doing. When they want something, they figure out a way to get it. And public blockchain is the future, no question. Mic drop. What is it that we hear about Maroon 5's DAO? That sounds really cool. Yeah, so that's another great project that we launched with them this summer. And you know that project really revolves around climate change initiatives and environmental initiatives. So when Maroon 5 came to us wanting to do an NFT drop, it was primarily around the release of their album, Jordy, which came out this past summer. So they had the person who was doing the album artwork, you know, work with us and create some NFTs around the album release, which were great. And we sold through those. But we said to them, we said, you know, you guys are so inclined on charity. And every single conversation we'd have, be like, oh, what charity can we link this to and link that to? And Yellowheart, we're super charitable as well. Every single drop, you know, we give to charity as well. On the X drop, all the money went to a school being built in Jamaica, and that was close to X's heart. On Kings of Leon, we gave 500000 to un, out-of-work crew workers, and we've been all about the charity, but Maroon 5 was like uncharitable on the next level. They had all these ideas on where they wanted the money going, so we proposed to them doing a DAO, and we explained to them what it was, and Jesse Carmichael from the band is actually very, very crypto savvy, and he's been in the space for a little while, so he was immediately receptive. So we built it. And what we're doing is for $50, any fan can come in and buy a token. They can join the DAO. And starting around October 15th, that's when the DAO launches is October 15th. But shortly after that, the band is putting initiatives forward to the community to fund various charities, starting with climate change initiatives, and then moving into environmental initiatives and then social initiatives. I've personally been dealing with quite a few of the charities right now that we're going to be supporting. They're all incredible. They're all people that Maroon 5 has already been supporting for years with donations and support on tour and things like that. So Maroon 5 
in their mind, the most powerful thing that they could do would be to start this for their fan base, allowing the fans to all have an equal say in how that charitable money was dispersed and allowing for the community to help others together. And that seems super powerful to us. And when we explain to them how a DAO works, how it's autonomous, how there's equal voting rights, we explain that in most DAOs, you know, you got 10 members, they each put in a million and they vote on, you know, financial initiatives. In this one, it's going to be how charitable dollars are allocated, but keeping it at a $50 threshold allows any fan to participate, anyone's voice to be heard. And once again, being EVM compatible, if you decide you don't want to be part of the community any, anymore, you can go sell your token to someone else, let them join the community. So right now it's open for anyone to join for $50. You have a vote in the community. And the other thing, since it's Maroon 5, is you'll have a vote on charitable allocation of those dollars. But there's also a lot of other benefits that will come clearly you know, being in the Maroon 5 DAO if you're a fan access, utility, other things that we're planning for that group once we get through some of the charitable endeavors. Wow. So it's pretty clear at this point in the interview, like seeing all the things that you're involved with, all the places you're trailblazing that you don't sleep. And so that's interesting. Congrats on pulling that off. <laughs> Thank you. See the bags on my eyes. You're right. <laughs> but I'm also curious, like I have another project I'm curious about hearing more about. You did a partnership with the Jerry Garcia family this digital artwork series titled Odd Little Piece. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I'm a huge deadhead, by the way. So this was super yeah, close to my No art. surprise from a Fish fan too, right? Yeah. Course. You know, my two favorite bands, you know. But this was a great one. So, you know, I had started speaking with Mark Allen, who runs the Jerry Garcia estate back in February of this year. And he was super interested because he felt like, you know, Jerry being the leader of the Grateful Dead, being the icon he is, Jerry is super well known for everything musical. Everyone knows every word to every song and everything about him musically on stage. But what not that many people knew about was the fact that Jerry came off stage and was a consummate artist. Jerry would paint. He'd literally bring paint on the road with him. I heard from Steve Parrish, who managed the Jerry Garcia Band and was Jerry's roadie, that before shows, he'd go to dinner and he'd literally bring paper or on the placemat and he'd literally doodle the entire time, that Jerry was constantly creating art. He'd even see art. He'd see art in the clouds and in the horizon and in the trees, and he was always just seeing art. So the estate felt as if this art has never really been properly presented, sold, et cetera. And yet they haven't really been looking for opportunities. They've kind of been waiting for them. So when NFTs came about and we started chatting about it, they were intrigued. So we started looking at Jerry's art and the estate manager and myself spent an exorbitant amount of time on Zooms going through Jerry's entire artistic portfolio. And Jerry created hundreds and hundreds of works and they're incredible, but they're all types of medians. So one day in March, him and I got on a Zoom to look at more art. And he goes, oh, by the way, do you know that Jerry actually did some art on a Mac computer? I go, excuse me, what? Yeah, he made some digital art. I go, where are those computers? He goes, let me find out. Two days later, he texts me. He's like, hey, I got the files on the computers. I'm a, let's get on a Zoom right now. We get on the Zoom and he literally pulls up digital files created on two Mac computers from 1990 to 1995, where Jerry was so deep in technology, the guy was 
fanatical about technology. And he had Steve Parrish literally put two computers together so he'd have enough memory to go do all this digital art. And he was obsessed with going on the Mac, using early programs to make art. And meanwhile, this was like an unbelievable treasure find because this was actually intrinsic digital art created on a computer, meant to be displayed digitally, not a scan of a canvas or something, which I was very hesitant to do. I couldn't get my head around like, oh, like, these are awesome, but like we're going to scan them. Like, this doesn't make sense. But when we found this, this was it. This was the treasure trove we were looking for. Most of it had never been seen before. It had never been published. And it literally went from Jerry's house to a storage facility to us pulling them out and pulling the files out. And here are these digital files that we turned into NFTs. So that made perfect sense. So at that point, I said, wow, this is unbelievable. And what's even more incredible is that nobody knows about this. So we need to tell the story. So... Being that it's Jerry Garcia, you know, we took the utmost respect and caution around this and took our time and we wanted to tell the story properly. So I actually got Steve Parrish, who was his long-term time roadie, his best friend, the guy that literally carried his guitar and traveled with him everywhere, his daughter, Trixie, uh, Mark, who runs the estate. And we all went to San Francisco and Jerry used to study at the San Francisco Art Institute. Not a lot of people know this, but he spent a lot of time there taking art classes when he was off tour. Trixie, his daughter, also went to school there and studied. So one afternoon in June, we actually rented the place out. We brought a camera crew in, small camera crew, and we got Trixie, Steve, and Mark talking about Jerry's art. And we filmed the whole video series. Now, we used some of that video for the introduction around the drop. But we have a ton more video and hopefully there'll be some more stuff we release. But a big part of this drop, and I think it's important for anyone doing NFTs, is telling the story of the artist. And this being an existing icon, it was important that it get told properly because I didn't want anything going out that was misconstrued or Jerry's family's trying to make money. Trust me, the last thing they want is money. We did about 250K on this drop and the Garcia family does not need 250K. They did this because they wanted the fans to see the art and that's it. And that was the reoccurring theme through this was, this has to be done right. It has to be presented right. If it's not right, we're not releasing it. We don't care. And we agreed. So it was a real labor of love that we took our time with. And, you know, it, it worked out beautifully. The, the drop is actually almost sold out. We had 20 editions. There are five left that are still on our platform with some additions for sale. A lot of the other ones are sold out. And I think in time, these are going to be incredibly sought after works because there won't be any more of these. Plus, the last thing I want to leave you with is once we were doing this and moving forward, I put a call into Greg Harris, who's the CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and told him what we were doing. He went crazy. And he's like, holy Yes. Moly. We say moly here. Holy, Holy moly. Holy moly. Holy moly. <laughs> we, you, you got your hands on that article. Not only did we get our hands on it, but we're releasing it. So they then joined. And right now, for anyone who's listening, all 20 NFTs are on display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. And they're on display not only with as NFTs, but I also got the family to include most of his guitars because I'm a guitar fanatic and a player and a collector. So I said, if I'm doing an exhibit here, we got to have the guitars too. So the guitars are there and the NFTs, and it's a tribute to Jerry Garcia, the artist. Wow. Incredible stories, man. Crazy opportunities you're coming across here. And the idea of taking one's time in the crypto and NFT space, I don't even know how that works, but congrats on pulling that off. <laughs> <laughs> 
taking the time means we're not putting it out next week. We're going to wait two months. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this case, it was six months. Wow. Yeah, I think finding, you know, we think about, you didn't hear about people finding like old baseball cards in their grandpa's attic. There are all these like little things, right? I think it's, it's literally going in someone's old Mac or hard drive and, and coming up with stuff that legit was made, you know, decades ago that, you know, that's special. That's the next kind of like cool, like treasure find in NFTs, you know? You want to hear a great story? This is amazing. So back in April, I was on the phone with John Bon Jovi and he's going on and on. What can we NFT? What can we NFT? I go, I don't know. You have your living on a prayer lyrics somewhere? He's like, I have those. I have those. I go, okay, great. I said, do me a favor, get your hands on some of the stuff and call me back. The next day, my phone starts blowing up from him again. I go, John, what's up? I'm on my way to my storage bin. Nice. <laughs> yes. That's it right there, man. I think we even talked about like somebody found like old Andy Warhol digital images on uh, like on a computer. Yeah, we talked about that. It's crazy. So much cool stuff in there. Yeah, I really love that. And, you know, fundamentally for a lot of the people that already have community and you've talked about it, you know, consistently throughout this conversation that this is an opportunity to, to add value to your community, to build your community, to strengthen your connection to them and to strengthen the connection uh, between your community members to each other. It's just special if you already have that built-in community. And, and frankly, it's also a special platform from which to build new community if you're a burgeoning artist in any you know form of art, really. So yeah, man, exciting times. I think I'm going to nominate that we have a new recurring segment, which is just like awesome stories with Josh Katz, you know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we sit here forever, you know? <laughs> so I want to cover like what the next level platforms and projects, you know, that you're watching are, you know, existing or yet to be formed that stand out to you, maybe as game changers that could be here in three, five, 10 years. What do you think on that topic? So, you know what, Ethan, it's a great topic. I can't talk about 10 years. I could barely talk about a month out in the space. It's crazy. I am a huge, huge believer in Polkadot. I believe in that ecosystem. I believe in everyone that's involved in that ecosystem. Yellow Heart will be Polkadot interoperable early next year. I think that Ethereum by far is the most important blockchain. I think Polkadot's going to come behind. I think Solana and Cardano are fantastic as well. But I believe that the Polkadot ecosystem is going to be super powerful. And I absolutely love that project. Cool. Well, we've got some fans in this group as well. I mean, I'll just say not again, not financial advice, but I love the crowd loan concept and how different it is from, you know, old school IDOs and launches where, you know, you're able to sort of give up your Kasama for 48 months, you get some of it back earlier, and then you get this new thing that grows. And then you get your original Kasama back for whatever it's worth at that time. And Oftentimes we like we get finicky. We meddle with our decisions about what we buy and what we sell in the world of crypto. And I like just sort of having this sort of thing that's like over there somewhere else for 48 weeks that I'm not touching. Yeah. I mean, listen, you could obviously could stake, you know, 2.0. I've done quite a bit of that as well. I'm a huge believer in 2.0. I think once Ethereum moves to proof of stake, it's going to be unstoppable. So, you know, I think there's a lot of incredible projects. And what's so amazing to me about this space is that I spend a lot of my days with my own blinders on because I'm so heads down on the stuff that we're working on. But then I'll have a lot of really early mornings where I actually like might look in Apple News and look under blockchain and crypto and I start reading articles and I'm continually blown away by the incredible innovation in the blockchain space and the amazing projects that people are doing and 
you know, doing it without worrying about mass adoption right now, but doing it for the right reasons. And the thing that about that is I continually read about really cool projects and like, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, and th they all sound great. And what I love about it more than anything is a sense of community where, you know, I was around, you know, I was young when web was coming out, but then mobile, you know, and now with 3.0, the community is so symbiotic, so supporting of each other, not backstabbing, helping of each other. It's pretty awesome. I love our community and I think it's just so powerful. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, it's about building bacon a bigger pie. And, you know, this idea of competition in the traditional capitalistic sense, just it isn't there because there's plenty of room for everyone in this world and, and it's a fun world to be in. Speaking of which, it looks like our worlds are colliding. Sooner than later, we talked about things opening up a little bit, a socially safe distance sort of way. And it looks like we'll be hanging out together at the Dreamverse Gallery in New York City at the very beginning of November. So we'll get to all hang out in person, have some drinks and hear more of your stories then. Any sort of sneak peek you can give us at what this is all about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off by saying that Dreamverse is going to be unbelievable. We're actually selling tickets for it. It's literally the second on sale that Yellow Heart's done. The first was for Scope Art Fair at Miami Art Week. They both went up for sale last week when our ticketing product relaunched, which I'm thrilled about. It's four years in the making. So we're back open for business on, on NFT ticketing. So with the tickets for Dreamverse, this event is spectacular. The guys from Metapurse are throwing it. They have Alesso DJing. They have RAC DJing. They have Beeple's piece that they own on display. They have, I don't know the exact number, but around 50 or more additional top NFT artists displaying their works. This is going to be the NFT event of NFT events. It's in New York City during NFT NYC. And what I do know about it is it's going to be spectacular. I mean, I was on an all-hands call last week, and it's just like a who's who in our universe of crypto, the people that are really doing stuff right now involved in this and, you know, including you guys. And it's going to just be like an incredible event between the art, the music, the community, the return to New York City of everyone for NFT NYC. So pretty incredible event. And I'm thrilled to be that you guys are part of it. I'm thrilled that we're part of it. And the Metapurse guys, I can't speak highly enough about. I think that they're spectacular. Yeah, they've been great to work with on this. And MetaCovid is coming on the show soon. We're finalizing that date. But I think there's also going to be like some sort of immersive sort of VR ex musical experience from what I understand. So that's something else to look forward to. These guys like to go big, you know? They bought a $69 million piece of art. They don't mess around. They don't mess around. It will be on display at this event, that piece of art. Uh, it is pretty funny you say that. So we were on this all-hand Zoom last week, and Meta Coven was on there with his camera on. And that, like someone came on, they're like, Meta Coven, can't leave your cameras on. And we actually see what you look like. Nice. It was all a setup. It was a stand-in. <laughs> it's funny. It's body double. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> super fun. We could talk all day about this stuff. Like you can tell we're, we're super passionate about it. We love what you're doing and uh, looking forward to getting together with you in person here real soon. Hi there. Let me interrupt one sec with a special secret here at edge of NFT. We want to loop you in on the best kept secrets in NFT right now. So this might be the first time you've heard of it. 
but you need to know about Koi, especially if you are a creator or even if you're just a supporter of groundbreaking projects. You need to dive into Koi ASAP and you can do so absolutely for free. Here is the best way. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can find out how to install the Finichrome plugin, publish your first 50 NFTs for free, and start earning Koi whenever anyone visits your NFTs. Imagine a world where sites like Facebook and Instagram would allow creators to earn every time their posts are viewed. This is what Koi is built to support. Plus, Koi is built to scale globally without killing the planet. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi, install the Finichrome plugin right now, publish your first 50 NFTs for free, and start earning Koi today. Meantime, though, we want to hit Edge Quick Hitters, man. Learn a little bit more about your personal perspective on some things. So what they are is just a fun, quick way to get to know you better. There's 10 questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word answers, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. You ready to dive in? All right. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Probably candy. Yes, a good go-to. Are you, are you like a more chocolate type guy or are you more on the uh, sweet? So I like it all, but I do have a sweet tooth for chocolate. Question two. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Sold baseball cards in junior high school. Solid go-to. Was there some arbitrage going on there? Of course. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Question number three. What is the most recent thing you purchased? Just bought a brand new guitar, which I'm actually picking up on Saturday. And I can't wait. Nice. What kind of guitar? Is it like custom in some way or what'd you get? Yeah. So I'll tell you. So I've been collecting guitars, you know, since I was a teenager. And one of the things that I've been really passionate about is supporting developing luthiers. And I'm a, mostly an acoustic guitar collector. I also collect Paul Reed Smiths and electric, but I've been supporting people like John Monteleone. And this is a builder from Pacific Northwest named Butch Boswell. And I played one of his guitars last spring at Rudy's in New York City and blew my head off. I could not believe that how amazing this instrument was. So Rudy introduced me to Butch and I ordered the guitar. And he's a bespoke builder, builds them, you know, custom, you know, in a small shop in you know, the Pacific Northwest. And I can't wait to get my hands on it. We'll see. Awesome. If I'm obligated to give a little shout out to my buddy Danny Canetop. If you don't know him, look him up. He makes archtop guitars out uh, in the Los Angeles area and I've known him since he was in high school. And he's, I've watched him grow. He's an incredible guitar maker. He's the real deal too. Yeah. Awesome. Question number four. What's the most recent thing you sold? NFT. Do you care to reveal of what collection it was from? <laughs> it was an ape. <laughs> right on. Is that a prediction? Are we at the top of the ape market? <laughs> no way. We're just starting. These are going to be so collectible. I mean, you know, it's funny because I have a bunch of them. I have a bunch of mutants. And I actually keep telling my son that these are going to be yours one day because I believe in that much longevity in these. I believe that these are the Warhols. These are the Basquiat's of our generation. And, you know, I'm a huge believer in, what, in what's going on. I think there's a lot of garbage out there right now, but that's a whole nother conversation. But things like apes and punks, I'm a huge believer in. Yeah, right on, man. So question five, what's your most prized possession? So it's an can I go on a little bit of a side note on this one? I'm not a huge believer in possessions. I would say my most prized possession is more uh, metaphorical. I'm not a big believer in owning physical goods. I'm a believer in anything that you own owns you. 
So I actually work very hard to cut down the amount of possessions in my life, not add to them. And when you said metaphorical, was it just that answer or was there something that metaphorically you, or is it like the ownership of your freedom or something? The ownership of my freedom, the ownership of the fact that I don't have to deal with that thing I own over there. Beautiful. Love it. Nice. Okay. Question number six then. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service, or an experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? Well, it would probably be an experience. So I'm all about experience. And I'd have to go out there and see what it is. Um, as I mentioned, it would have to be something that's currently for sale. I'd have to look at what VIP super experiences are out there. But you know, I've never been to Alaska. I'm dying to go there. There's a lot of places in the world I've never been. And if I could go to the, some of those places and have the you know, top level experiences, I'd be very into it. The other thing that I'm super into is meeting people, into ideas and hearing about things and learning new thought processes. So I think it would really be around meeting people. I'd love to meet the Pope. I'd love, love to meet you know, some of the most forward-thinking people. Luckily, I get to meet some of them, but I'm all about that would be something for me would be an experience of meeting someone who I might not otherwise get to meet. Yeah, love that. Question seven, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? It would most likely be, it would probably be my sense of, compassion, where every day I try to take a look at what I have around me and try to be thankful for the little things, for being healthy, for having a roof, for having clean water, for having food to eat. And I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate those things, don't appreciate the fact that they put on socks, the littlest things. So I think that level of appreciation for basics needs to get passed on. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to miss especially in our world day to day, you know? Question eight, the flip side. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? It would definitely be anger. Anger is not something that serves me well. I'm not good with anger. I don't like anger, but it naturally occurs when you have a wish that's blocked, when you have something that is told to you that you don't want to hear. And something I've worked very hard on in therapy, in meditation, through various other practices is having a very clear mind as to what other people's intentions are and how they think about things and trying to be symbiotic. But when you have a blocked wish or other things, it could cause you know, that emotion. And I think that emotion does no one any good ever. Yeah, that's a tough one too. When you're trying to get things done or you're a super ambitious and motivated person, right? It's hard when things are beyond our control too. Question nine, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was on a Zoom looking, believe it or not, at Rolling Stones NFTs. Cool. Anything, uh, anything we should be excited about? Hopefully. We'll see. All right. <laughs> All right. Nice. Little sneak preview. Breaking the news before the news. Love it. There's no news. <laughs> <laughs> Question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Uh, hold on. Right now. I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm actually going on another podcast. Oh, right on. Ooh. Can we tell what it is? What's that? What, what, who's our follow-up? Actually, for St. Jude's. Going on podcast with them. We right now we are auctioning off a one-on-one NFT for St. Jude's, which is going up into space on Thursday. So yeah, so we're sending an NFT loaded on an iPhone to space on a SpaceX flight called Inspiration Four. It's the first civilian manned spaceship and spacewalk. It's leaving Cape Canaveral on Thursday, and in that spaceship is the first ever NFT to go to space. That's awesome. Love that. Very fun. All right. Bonus question. Num question 11 bonus. Who are your top five MCs? I'm not going to put you on the spot. Top five MCs. <laughs> we can get through that. But you got a top five, right? Everybody, you know, hip hop fans got to have a top five. Oh. 
No, it's all good. We'll let you off the hook on that one. But we do have some hot topics to talk about if we're ready to dive in. Yes, there is news. Here it is. <laughs> hot topics. All right. What's the news? Uh, headline number one, Immutable raises $60 million for NFT games platform on Ethereum. Immutable has raised $60 million for its platform that uses NFTs to help monetize games. A Sydney, Australia-based company created a platform to monetize NFTs and games and is also creator of God's Unchained NFT-based collectible card game. So yeah, I mean, here we go. And gaming is huge. And we've talked with several players in the space. And this is kind of off topic, not really news, but I went to physical therapy yesterday and like had a conversation with the person that was getting physical therapy next to me about their gaming habits, right? And we were just talking about games and NFTs. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, Josh, what I thought was interesting, you know, the next wave of what people are going to pay attention to in NFTs, like utility or something like that. And it's just interesting, you know, the people that see the wave of, of like the high value art are thinking it's going to go away soon, right? But people who are really familiar with the space see like multiple waves, you know, gaming, utility, you know, real estate, like whatever, these waves are just going to keep continuing. So, yeah, I mean, these guys at Immutable, they're definitely ones to watch, right? We had Derek Lau from Guild of Guardians, one of their games on our show, and they're thinking 10 years ahead. So I'm really excited to see what they're able to uh, pull off here. I'll tell you something. I think gaming is like, I'm shocked it's taken this long. It's a no brainer. You know, I have, as I mentioned, I have a nine-year-old son. And he spends a freaking fortune in Fortnite. I see it on my bills every month. And none of those assets are tradable or sellable. You can't even give them away. And the fact that these assets in game are not NFT yet or on some type of ledger is bananas. I can't understand it. Now, I get it. If you're, you know, Epic Games or one of these companies, you don't want it resold. You want someone to just have to buy another one. But we think that you'd want to build an ecosystem that keeps people in there. Right now, the fact that you buy an asset in game and it's useless to you or useless to anybody else if you don't want to use it, you then just move on from the game. If I was sitting on you know, 5K in assets in a game, I wouldn't walk away from that game so quick. Yeah, it was interesting. The person I was talking to yesterday didn't know much about NFTs, but and I asked if they had sort of spent money in games and, and they said, no, no, I, I haven't really done that. What I do is I sort of earn the money as I play, right? And so it's interesting, you know, even the people that aren't even aware of NFTs, they're earning things in these games. And just like you said, I'd rather have it be something that I can keep and trade and have extended utility than something that I have no control over. Let's take a step back here, guys. I mean, I had a conversation with some gentlemen this weekend about the purpose of college education and the fact that now it's shifting towards 60% women, 40% males. What are these guys doing? They're, they're making a living playing video games. Like, like we're literally going to moving towards a potential societal shift where there's vocational training around high performance video gaming as a career. And that's what I see. Oh, it's here, man. <laughs> it's here. And that's where like, this raise that Immutable did and so many other companies are working on and are being funded to explore this. It's how we're going to reach that next level. I mean, there's no question about it. No question about it. It's on. Uh, you know, one of the companies I think is doing an incredible job with this is Forte. And you know, there's a lot of people in the space, but this is a natural extension. The only question I have is whether the incumbent gaming companies will support these platforms or fight them and try to do it on their own. 
as you know, that a lot of these larger companies do, they say, oh, what do we need these young guys for? Let's just copy them or build it on our own. And you know, that never works. So I'll be curious to see how this actually rolls out of the video game space because, you know, the video game space is obviously evolving quickly. You know, obviously VR, you'll have the introduction of AR into various, you know, things we're doing in our day-to-day life at some point soon, I hope. And I think that the new realm of gaming is going to just explode. I'm just curious to see if the old world embraces the new world or if they just get eaten up by the new world. Yeah. Let's uh, hit the next topic. The next topic we want to talk about Mona. It's a 3D creator economy for the metaverse. It launches Thursday with the unveiling of its Future Gallery, a network of interconnected virtual spaces that provides NFT artists with the opportunity to display their work in its original high res and high fidelity format and sell directly to buyers. To market the launch, Mona has partnered with a number of celebrated NFT artists, including Food Maskew, Dario De Siena, Alex Mexeda, and Milibiti who is Marco Zubak, to curate unique collections for the Mona Future Gallery. You know, I'm the one in charge of like reading these things. And, you know, when people's like screen names get on there, it's just like, oh, crap. <laughs> but anyways, so what do we think is different about about this versus, you know, you can go into Decentraland and create a little gallery or something like this? What's going on here? There's a couple of things that jump out to me for for artists. They can build customized galleries using their own tools of choice. They can sort of travel into the gallery with friends and show them around, which is a cool experience. They can immerse themselves into the art with one click. These all sound pretty cool and new agey things to me. And it's also cool that Filecoin stepped up to the plate. This was born out of the Filecoin Launchpad Accelerator program. And we've talked a little bit about how these programs are out there and available and so supportive of whatever you can conjure up. You know, I just get really excited about anything new like this. Yeah, for sure. And the article features some interesting NFT art by this Food Maskew project. I've seen it before, but we haven't talked about well, it. You've here. totally seen it. It's all over Instagram. It's this guy that like, basically has all this different food like sort strapped of to his face strapped to his face jeff have you seen it before yeah he's making me hungry yeah jeff have you strapped food to your face before totally appetizing <laughs> but no not in public that's for sure <laughs> it actually reminds me there's some skit i forget which who did it snl or something but it's like a mask like maybe it's the onion that it's like a mask for like fast food that you strap to your face. And it's just basically like a little basket so that people don't want to use their hands to eat their food. They're so lazy. Anyways, look it up. It's pretty hilarious. That's very funny. <laughs> Was that Chris Farley, Ethan? Because that would be a nice segue <laughs> to our, one of the contests we'll be dropping in our newsletter. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think it was. I want to mention something about Mona. I think it's cool. I think anything metaverse right now, anyone who's enabling metaverse is important because I believe in the metaverse in a major way in the future. I think it's where we're all going to be spending a lot of time. And the one thing I've noticed, though, is it doesn't seem like the mainstream adoption is happening so quickly. It looks like projects in Decentraland are not moving at rapid speed that everyone once thought they would be. Yet every single person you talk to in crypto is the biggest believer, including myself. So I think that people like Mona, and I haven't really looked at this future gallery project yet, but I will sounds like it's a great stepping stone into what the metaverse is and enabling people to actually 
enjoy it and check the metaverse out. So I think it's amazing. I mean, let's face it, we're already living in a metaverse. I mean, look, here's like four dudes like talking to their computers right now, right? <laughs> so it's sort of just a matter of escalation of what's the next stage and making the transition into what the future of the metaverse is, you know, um, and, and centralizing things. Yeah. Three of these guys have JMK as their initials. Now, are you telling me we're not living in a simulation? Come on. That's definitely a problem. I'm JMK in the metaverse, not you. You, could be JMK <laughs> you know, it's funny. So over Labor Day weekend, I was with a, a big New York City real estate developer. And he's telling me how there's nothing left to buy in New York, you know, and prices are this. I go, you should start buying in the metaverse. What's the metaverse? I explain, that's ridiculous. But I go, watch, you'll see. You know, I go, I guarantee you that virtual land I'm buying right now, 20 years, we'll have this conversation. It'll be more, much more than New York City land. You'll see. Yeah, yeah. We just had the metaverse realty group on our show a couple of weeks ago talking about their whole fund for investing in multiple properties in the metaverse. And I've doubled down on that, Josh. I have a plot of land in Superworld that is superimposed on the Brooklyn Bridge. So I have a piece of New York and a piece of the metaverse. So... You know, you can do both. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's uh, hit the next topic we want to cover. The Koi Garden Party. Koi, who we've talked about on the show, had as a guest and has been a sponsor, recently unveiled a revolutionary new approach to NFTs that will completely redefine the way we interact with the internet. Don't miss the upcoming Garden Party, a presentation of the world's first regenerative artwork and your chance to earn one of the first NFTs ever created using the new dynamic NFT standard Speakers include Kevin A. Bosch, Darren Klein, Carlos Romero, and the Edge of NFT team. I've never heard of them, but that sounds interesting. Those uh, <laughs> Pre-register for a September 27th event is happening soon and post the details on Twitter and share in our newsletter. Yeah, we're excited about Koi and what they're bringing to the table. It's very interesting stuff. Yeah, Josh, have you heard of Koi before? I have not. So I think you'll dig it, man. What Koi Network does is they reward attention on beautiful art in multimedia. So whether you mint it on their platform or another platform, they're powered you know, under the Airweave protocol. As people check out people's art, maybe they don't buy it, that creator still receives Koi tokens for the views and the leadership leaderboard and everything. So it's another sort of method of rewarding artists for you know the beautiful things that they create and other people get to enjoy. Sounds brilliant. Yeah. And I've heard so many people sort of, you know, complain about posting stuff, say on Facebook or whatever. And they're like, I, nobody really liked it or, you know, nobody really engaged with it. Nobody made any comments, you know, but every once in a while you can kind of get a glimpse of like, you can hear somebody, a friend go, oh, I saw your post on Facebook the other day. Like, oh, okay. So people are looking at that. They're just not like liking and commenting. Right. So Koi really kind of solves a little bit of that confusion and say, hey, if people are paying attention to this, you can get credit and you can, you know, earn basically for creating something that people thought was interesting. But even more than that, though, is it like they have this like flower that blooms. The more attention it gets, the more the NFT actually blooms, which is like sick. It's awesome. And you can think well beyond like the use case for just the artwork or the intellectual property itself, like things that do grow and evolve and change based on some other trigger. In this case, it's attention or interaction. So you want to hear something interesting? We touched earlier on the Maroon 5 DAO. So the Maroon 5 DAO is actually a living NFT. It's funny you say that. So the Maroon 5 DAO, when it launches October 15th, is tied to the USC carbon index. And when there's more carbon in the environment, it's a flower that wilts. 
when there's less carbon in the environment, it blossoms and mushrooms grow and the whole environment really blossoms. So great to hear That's you say incredible. That. It's fun stuff. Man. That's really so cool. cool. So yeah, for all you listeners coming out with us on September 27th, we'll have a little RCP link. So if you want to see what we look like, I guess in a more interactive way, we'll have some food on our faces, potentially. Very handsome kind of... bunch, I must say. <laughs> there you go. Beautiful initials, at least. <laughs> this has to be a wrap at some point, guys. This is one of our longer shows, but hopefully the listeners enjoy it. As much it's as well we worth it. Enjoy. It's well worth it. No, we can stay all day. So we have another hour here, guys. So. <laughs> Josh, it's been great, man. We've been so excited to have you on the show. Uh, it's been a long time coming and I think been well worth it. Where can folks go to learn more about yourself, about projects you're working on, all the forthcoming fun things that you're up to? Absolutely. Just uh, yellowheart.io or yh.io has our drops. You know, We have a bunch of stuff coming later this quarter. Plus our NFT ticketing platform launched last week. So anyone looking to do events, any venues, any types of great events, we'd love to hear from you. And, you know, feel free to reach out. We are, we're always looking for great projects. That's amazing, man. And I, I guess we, uh, we talked about doing a little giveaway for listeners. Uh, can we give a little bit of color on that as well? Absolutely. So with the Maroon 5 DAO, you know, a token to join the DAO and have voting rights on how DAO money is dispersed to charities requires a token. So we are going to give out five tokens to five different you know, listeners here. Amazing. So yes, for our listeners, uh, keep an eye out on uh, Edge of NFT socials. We'll get you all the details uh, on that contest and giveaway. That is amazing. Really appreciate that. Okay. Well, we've reached the outer limit at the Edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT with us? Got guests you want to see on the episode, questions for hosts or guests, an NFT you'd like us to review. Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today.